630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. All right, we got Team Brick Alberta in action over at West Edmonton Mall taking on the uh, Montreal Ice Storm. That game is scoreless. Team Brick 1-0 so far in the tournament. We had tournament director Andy Wigston on the show Last week, the uh, final going to be on Sunday at West Edmonton Mall. West Edmonton Mall. My name is Reed Wilkins. Inside Sports on six thirty. Chad, you can text six thirty six thirty. The uh, phone number is seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Couple other uh, notes today. Nail Yakupov has signed a one year deal with the Colorado Avalanche, worth a reported eight hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. Also, some news about a guy who got a big goal for the Oilers this season. Indecisive at this point, but now dishing back for David DeArnay. He'll swing it to the corner for Drysaddle. Back in front to Arnay. David DeHarnay, the biggest goal during his brief tenure as an Edmonton Oiler, scoring against the San Jose Sharks, Game 5 in overtime. The setup from Leon Dreisaitl, Leon Dreisaitl, or, uh, David DeHarnay going to the New York Rangers for a uh, deal worth reportedly $1 million. The guy who called that goal from the Oilers Radio Network, play-by-play voice Jack Michaels. Hey, Jack, thanks for making time for me tonight. How are you doing? Anytime, Reed. Pleasure to be on, and... Uh... Indeed, I think we knew even as, as that goal was scored and, and maybe as the season wound down that, uh, you know, unfortunately, when you, when you have a group that close, you know when the last game is played, uh, that's the last time that group's going to be together. And, you know, we've, we've seen some relatively minor changes with the Edmonton Oilers as compared to some of the other contenders around the National Hockey League. But that's a fact of life. It's a cap world, and uh, there are only so many priorities you can attend to during the course of the off season. So uh, certainly uh, a popular player in his brief time with the Oilers and, and scored one of the biggest goals uh, in, in certainly recent years for Edmonton. But uh, moving on, and it's a part of it, Reed. And as you know, uh, again, with each year, the ingredients will change ever so slightly. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I think you're right. I think we knew David DeHarnay, unlikely he was going to be back uh, as an Edmonton Oiler. So he does move on to the New York Rangers. I, I, there's a couple things I want to talk to you about, Jack. We're, we're going to start here. Uh, Joey Chestnut winning the – this this is – it's a competition. I don't know if it's a sport, but we're going to talk about it tonight. Uh, Joey they Chestnut. They call it a sport. Yeah. They do call it a sport. Competitive eating, Joey Chestnut yeah. winning the 101st Nathan's Annual Famous International Hot Dog Eating Contest. His 10th victory in the event. Uh, here we go. 72 hot dogs in 10 minutes. Uh, Jack, you and I are both men who are passionate about our food. Um uh, I whenever this comes up every year I just look and I think that just seems unhealthy to me. 
Well, I don't think there's any question it's unhealthy <laughs> on a wide variety of levels, not the least of which is what your stomach turns into. But, uh, you know, that's uh, it's a tradition that's not going away anytime soon. And Joey Chestnut, as I understand it, Reed, is the unquestioned uh, competitive eating champion of the world right now. No one's even close. Uh, no, there was Kobayashi, right, a few years ago. That it, Sports yeah, Illustrated actually wrote a... old news. Yeah, he's old news, and I think he kind of had a bit of a feud with uh, the, the Major League Eating or whatever it's called, and he fell out of favor. So and whenever there's video of this, because I, I, I think, is, is he the guy that dips them in water so they're easier to swallow? Well, there there is a, uh, there is a, a situation where... You know what? I don't know the strategy. I'm not going to sit here and try to pretend, but indeed, I don't think it's only him that dips them in water. I think that is now an accepted practice, if you will, and, uh, you know, just just part of the deal. But it it is a bizarre uh, American tradition and one that I don't particularly enjoy watching. I have never watched it myself. All right. Well, I just I, I, I thought you'd be the one to bring that up with tonight. Uh, Jack Michaels checking in. Okay, here's what I was thinking, buddy, because uh, we had Canada Day on Saturday. Uh, I didn't have a show. If the, if the show does fall on a weekday, we inevitably talking start talking about great Canadian athletes or, or great Canadian moments. Today is the uh, the 4th of July, American Independence Day. So I got, I got thinking this morning, and I, I texted you this earlier, and I, and I kind of said, I wonder if this is a topic, and you were like, yeah, let's let's go. So here's, here's, my, here's my premise. When you bring up the greatest moments in Canadian sports history, th- there's a lot you can bring up, um, but I think four that, that would kind of be a consensus as being in the top five or six. You got Paul Henderson in 72, you got Mario Lemieux's goal in 87. You got Crosby's golden goal in 2010. And I think you have to throw in there, because of the magnitude and the hype, uh, Donovan Bailey winning the 100 meters in the Atlanta Olympics in 96, and then the relay team winning gold uh, a week later. You know, Mike Weir winning the Masters might be up there too. But but those four, I think, are really hardcore for, for Canadians. The United States, I'm wondering, Jack, what they would list um, simply because they kind of have been a dominant uh, team in the dominant country in, in a lot of Olympic games, especially Summer Olympics. I, so I'm asking you, is, is there a... And now they did have 1980 in hockey. So give me a sense of the country's greatest hockey moment and maybe some, some other ones that would be recognized as great international victories or moments for Americans. I don't think there's. I don't think it's really that close. I mean, I, I think it's. I think it's 1980, both sports and hockey, and I, I think. I mean, that, that's reflected by the fact. I believe. I don't know whether it was Time Magazine or or one of these, one of these uh, surveys or whatever, uh, unanimously voted the greatest moment of the 20th century in the United States of America. So I mean. You know, we're not even talking. We're we're talking something that was voted on in terms of surpassing the man on the moon. And and the thing you have to understand about 1980, which I think differs from 1972 in Canada, is unlike you know Canada in 72. I mean, the morale of the United States and America in 1980 was extremely low. Uh, they were the malaise days, if you will, of Jimmy Carter, the president of the United States. Uh, America had been rendered somewhat powerless by 
uh, the Iran hostage crisis, uh, the perception was that, you know, America had lost its standing in terms of the powers for, you know, I mean, again, for being virtually, you know, unable to do anything about this hostage situation for more than a year. Uh, the gas prices and inflation were completely out of control. I think mortgage rates were somewhere in the neighborhood of 14, 15 percent. I know when my parents purchased their, you know, first house in, in 1972, I, and it got even worse when they purchased it than the house that I grew up in, essentially, in 1978. I mean, it was just a time where, where really the United States was really struggling. And that particular event was seismic enough that if you look at everything that transpired after that, the, you know, ascension of President Reagan and, you know, at least uh, the temporary relief provided by, you know, his ascension to the presidency and Reaganomics, I think many people look to that point, February 22nd, I believe, 1980, uh, the defeat of the Russians, and the very next day, the vanquishing of, of Finland, as you know, as a as a real turnaround uh, for this country. And so, you know, in that regard, I don't think it's that close, Reed. I, I don't think there's I don't think there's anything that's even close as, as a runner-up in in sports or hockey. I think in the entire century. Probably the, the the second most important event would probably be uh, Neil Armstrong and and being becoming the first man to walk on the moon because there was a bit of a race uh, to see which space program would, would hit that barrier. But in sports, I don't think it's close. Yeah, see that, and I, I find that fascinating. And by no means am I disagreeing with you. I just find that fascinating for a nation uh, at that time. And, and let's face it, even in some parts of the United States, hockey still still doesn't resonate. There are there are some where it's obviously incredibly popular or is gaining popularity. Sure. Oh, yeah, you wouldn't think hockey, yeah. of all things, would bring the nation together. Absolutely. I mean, that is the, you know, the, the, the twist of the whole thing is that hockey, which is, you know, usually a distant fifth or sixth in terms of capturing the American sporting interest, it was that particular game that, that, that brought everything together. And it was, you know, I mean, it was, uh, you know, the height of ABC and its coverage of, of the Olympics. I think it was also um, the, be- the beginning of the rapid rise of the career of Al Michaels. I mean, you know, with the, with the famous call, I think that was a big part of it. Um, and, and, again, I just think it's where the country was at a, at a particular point in time. I, I think you could... You could easily make the argument that 1979-1980 uh, were two of the most problematic years in the United States of America, certainly dating back to the Civil War. I mean, they were, you know, the country was really in trouble, and um, and it was uh, it was the kind of event that that brought everyone together. And the subsequent years, you know, people had. I mean, I, I don't think the hockey game had much to do with it, but I right. think because of what happened in subsequent years. People look to that as a certain turning point. I, I wondered if if you were going to factor uh, Jesse Owens' nineteen thirty six. Now it's different because that wasn't a TV age, right? I, I suppose maybe that that sheds that in a different light. But that's something that still gets talked about, uh, I think, and is still um, glorified to this day. Well, much bigger than Jesse Owens, and I would I would say much much bigger than Jesse Owens. Again, having to do with where you were in history uh and in the 30s and 40s the two dominant sports in the united states of america uh certainly surpassing mainstays 
of today, like baseball, uh, football, and, and basketball, were horse racing and boxing. Mm-hmm. And the knockout, the first round knockout of Max Schmeling by Joe Lewis in 1938, I believe it was June the 22nd in Yankee Stadium, uh, that event would probably be, you know, if you're looking for a runner-up or, or, or something close, that would be far greater than the Jesse Owens because Max Schmeling had beaten Lewis already. It accounted for what amounted to be Lewis's only loss uh, from the time he turned pro in the mid-30s to 1949 when Ezra Charles finally beat him. But uh, at that time, certainly everyone knew, all right, we're, we're heading down a certain primrose path with Germany. Schmeling, though he wasn't um, you know, an overwhelming Nazi supporter, was certainly uh, held up by Adolf Hitler and the Nazi Party as a symbol of the Aryan supremacy, especially having beat Lewis two years before. Mm-hmm. And that was a mammoth event. I mean, that was, that was uh, like I said, if there's a runner-up to the Miracle on Ice, that would be, that would be number two far more than Jesse Owens. And, and I, I think it has to do with the fact of, of how much boxing uh, was revered at that particular point in time. Yeah, that's great perspective. Jack, that's why I, I wanted to have you on. You have such an encyclopedic knowledge of uh, of huge sporting events that I knew you'd have a strong opinion on it, so that uh, that's pretty cool. Well, you had, a, you had a great broadcaster, too, a real raspy voice, kind of a Johnny Most type uh, named Clem McCarthy, who called all the important fights. And didn't he that, do this, uh, the, uh, of that, uh, the Sea of Biscuit that races, too? What's that? Didn't he do the Sea Biscuit races as well? Correct. Yeah, Tom McCarthy also did the Sea. He was kind of the voice of of boxing and horse racing, and it was uh, and it was one of those where uh, you know an iconic call. Uh, Max Schmeling has been beaten in one round, and it was uh, it was a real you know it, it's an iconic call, and it's something you could probably. Uh, pick up on youtube yeah absolutely all right buddy i i know you're trying to have a bit of a holiday so thanks a lot for checking no, in no I, i'm i love talking this stuff it's uh it's a lot of fun for me to remember and and it's you know some of the some of the calls and some of the moments in sports that uh got me interested in the game to begin with well that's that's a that's a really good point and i think for me uh i mentioned the hockey stuff but the bailey one was such a big deal for me and, and Don Whitman passed a few years ago and I've, I've interviewed Bailey about it and he said how much the Whitman call uh, meant to him too and let's face it for while well, we're continuing this Jack but for I think for Canadians that was such a big deal Bailey winning in the wake of the Johnson scandal you know in the United States beating a couple Americans who were in the race and and I think it was sort of that yeah, and I mean, and it's sort of that in-your-face moment, and then Bailey even winning that 150-meter race with Johnson and saying he's chicken. You know, it was almost un-Canadian, but we sort of revel in that in that victory, right? Yeah, redemptive win to be sure, and uh, I'm sure you've probably seen the 30 for 30. I, yeah. I really enjoyed that 30 for 30 on the uh, 1988 Soul race, and. I can't remember. Was Donovan Bailey old enough to be in that race, or was that before his time? No, he wasn't in the 88 one. But Bruni Surin was a competitor in 88, and then he was on the 96 relay team. Yeah, and you did have, as I recall, is there not a Canadian competitor in that race who was clean and kind of to this day, or was I I can't remember, but there's a couple guys in there, maybe one from the States and one uh, Canadian that were proven clean, and they... 
they each kind of made it clear in that documentary they would have loved to see where they finished had uh, had everything been on an even playing field. I think Calvin Smith was the clean American. Yes. And correct. I don't think there was a Canadian in the final. I'm Googling it right okay. now. My apologies. But I might be I might be getting my years confused. But yeah, that that's another, you know, I mean, and that's the great thing about what Usain Bolt is uh, has done. Oh, Desai Williams I, was in it. I, my apologies. Desai Williams, okay. yeah. I, I felt like there was one, and I, I don't know whether he would have been a serious contender, but I know they talked to him, and it, you know, I think, understandably so, the clean guys in that race uh, definitely have some opinions on how things might have stacked out had everything been on the up and up. Yeah, no kidding. Hey, Jack, thanks for checking in tonight. Fun conversation. Uh, we'll talk more hockey next time, of course, but uh, look forward to seeing you in town for the next Eskimos game too, man. Always a pleasure. Anytime, Reed. Thanks for having me on. Jack Michaels, Oilers play-by-play voice here on Inside Sports on 630. Chet, a little uh, reminiscing about some great moments south of the border and uh, America, not a... Uh, not a hockey nation, a lot better over the last 20 years, but certainly in uh, 1980, the huge upset over the Soviet Union and then clinching gold against Finland. And uh, Jack says, without a doubt, that is that country's uh, greatest international sporting moment. It's 722 Inside Sports on 630 Chad. This is Adarius Bowman from your Edmonton Eskimos. And you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Darius Bowman and the Eskimos 2-0. Now in their bye week. Their next game Friday, July 14th against Ottawa. Of course, it's on 6.30, Chad. 6 o'clock for the countdown to kickoff. 8 o'clock for the actual kickoff. That is next Friday. And there is that carryover for the unclaimed 50-50 from uh, Friday's game against Montreal. Just over $82,000. The Eskimos will announce on Thursday to which game it gets carried over. Got a final from the uh, Brick Invitational Super Novice Tournament. Team Brick coming up just short, losing 1-0 in double overtime, a 3-on-3 goal by the Montreal Ice Storm to win it 1-zip. So Team Brick goes to 1-0-1 in the tournament. They'll play tomorrow at 9-10 in the morning against Detroit. Action uh, pretty much all day at the Ice Palace. Uh, there's a game. Uh, the latest game tonight starts at 8.50. Tomorrow games start at 7.30 in the morning. The last game faces off at 7.10 and the tournament goes all the way through until Sunday. Always a great event. All right. Fun to have Jack Michaels on the show. You can text 63630. Our phone number 780-496-0063. My name is Reed Wilkins. Blue Jays won earlier today 4-1 over the New York Yankees. Of course, the Eskimos uh, confirming what we all suspected. John White out for the season. The running back suffering a torn ACL against Montreal. So Trayvon Van, for the time being, the Eskimos starting running back. Here's head coach Jason Moss. He's a... I mean, he's quick, he's fast. I mean, if he hits a hole and there's a seam, he's going to take it the distance. He has that capability every time he touches the ball. Um, if there's, you don't, he doesn't need too much there. Um, but he's also pretty physical. I mean, um, I think, you know, comparing him to John, I mean, John's probably the most physical, quick, twitch, uh, powerful person in a, in a smaller statured body that I've ever seen. Um, 
But Trayvon, just a little bit different. I mean, he's not going to probably be as powerful through the hole as John was, but when he hits something, he's going to hit it with maximum speed, just like you saw in that touchdown. It didn't take him hard long to go from 0 to 100 with the acceleration that he has. Uh, but he's got good vision. Um, you know, he's a, he's a good blocker. He, he's a good, solid football player. He just hasn't had a ton of reps. Uh, doing it last year with Ottawa he had you know he was the marquee guy a couple games a few games and and then wasn't um, he just will get better as the reps go on but uh, no he's got he's got talent he's got enough talent to be a great running back in this league it's just a matter of uh, getting in there and proving it all right so Trayvon Van will be uh, the Eskimos featured back we'll see how he does I think Jason Moss did it there he is not as powerful as uh, as John White but hopefully he can get out into space a little bit and get some big runs the Eskimos weren't good in the first half on Friday Jason Moss tells you what went down at halftime it wasn't a normal halftime to be quite honestly I was very encouraged by our group we have a ton of leaders I've always said it our locker room is one of the best I've ever been around if not the best um, with three minutes to go before we were our five minute warning, we had already the whole team was already up out of our lockers, ready to go off the field. And I we just sat there because you're really not supposed to go out till the five minute warning. But our guys were so amped up and ready uh, to go out and play that I just said, screw it. Gave them my speech and said, let's, let's just go and finish. Let's play the ball where we're a type of ball we're capable of playing and get out get a victory tonight. And the guys are fired up and went out and did it. By the way, you want that whole interview with Jason Moss from the Eskimos Coaches Show with Morley Scott last night on 630 Ched. Go to the Eskimos page on 630Ched.com. What do you do after you retire from football? Former Eskimo and Stampeder Randy Chevrolet will tell you when we get back. Inside Sports, 630Ched. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630Ched. I want to remind you that if you would uh, like to attend the celebration of life for former Edmonton Oiler Dave Semenko, who passed away last week, go to ticketmaster.ca. The tickets are free for the public seating, but uh, you do have to have a ticket to get in. Ticketmaster.ca. This is going to be Thursday. That's July 6th at 2 in the afternoon. It is at Rogers Place. And uh, the doors will open at 12 o'clock. Certainly a, a fan favorite. I know on Thursday it was pretty emotional. A lot of you uh, were texting and calling in with uh, stories of Dave Semenko, and a lot of you uh, got to meet him, got to talk to him, and uh, got to enjoy his wit and his sense of humor. I know a lot of guests talked about that uh, as well, and that's certainly what he's going to be remembered for. Really enjoyed his... Uh, uh, turned out to be his final season with the Oilers organization, working as a community ambassador over the 16-17 year. Thanks a lot for tuning in. My name is Reed Wilkins. It is 7.35. Uh, we've had Randy Chevrolet on the show before, and uh, former Edmonton Eskimo, former Calgary Stampeder, three-time Grey Cup champion, always a lot of insight. But today... We're uh, looking at what comes next and looking back a little bit because he has decided to retire and move on to the next chapter in his life. Randy, thanks for making time for us tonight. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Reed. Yeah, it's good to talk to you again. And, uh, man, you've uh, you've retired from pro football, and you're jumping right into your next career. We got you on your last day off before your, your training starts here. Tell us what's going on in the weeks to come. Yeah, well, pretty much my last day off, I... Uh I, um, I'm starting with the Calgary Fire Department tomorrow. 
so this has been uh, a three-year uh, recruitment process that I've been in the queue, uh, just going through sort of the various uh, steps uh, that it takes to get to this point here. And uh, tomorrow is my official uh, day one with the Calgary Fire Department. So I'm I'm, uh, I'm excited, but I'd be lying if I didn't if I uh, said I wasn't nervous. There's a lot. Uh, a lot going on and a lot to process in the next uh, three months of training. So uh, I guess we'll take it one day at a time and uh, one page at a time. Well, I love your honesty with how you're feeling about it. Where do I mean you've you've played in Grey Cups. You're you're an athletic big guy. Where where do the nerves come from? Do you think that uh, you know even though you've been through high pressure situations as a as an athlete, uh, where do the nerves come from? Do you think in terms of this transition? I think the nerves come from the stack of books that I saw when I walked in at orientation day. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, you don't need those. You don't need books when you're playing in great cups and, and hitting people. So, uh, <laughs> no, I walked in, uh, I was pretty excited once I finally got the call, uh, about a month ago and had been doing the final preparations. And I walked into my, uh, uh orientation, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I saw my name on a desk with with a stack of books that I hadn't seen since uh, maybe my first year of university. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this has been a while since I've been books like that. And then I flipped through them and it got worse. Oh, <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff I didn't know anything about. So, so I think that's my major source of anxiety, truthfully, is uh, to keep on top of all the uh, the academic and technical aspects of it. Uh, I don't doubt it's going to be really tough physical work. I mean, uh, we're going to be doing lots of work in, uh, you know, the, the summer uh, weather conditions, which right now, you know, next two weeks in Calgary is going to be 30 degrees, and we'll be wearing, uh, you know, about 50 pounds of gear on our back every time we go out, plus an hour of uh, physical uh, training in the mornings. So uh, that's going to be tough, but I, but I think that uh, I'll be able to handle that. And uh, as far as, you know, as you related to uh, football, that might be a little bit more uh, something I'm comfortable with. But uh, truthfully, um, the part that I'm having anxiety about is, you know, setting aside time to make sure that I read a couple hours every night, uh, a full day on the weekend to catch up and make sure that I'm, uh, I'm ahead of the readings for the week before. So just, just kind of getting back into um, – a mode that I hadn't been in for, for really a long, long time now. So, uh, like I said, it's exciting because I'm going to be learning some new things, but uh, a little bit anxiety-provoking because uh, I, I want to do well. Uh, I, if there's one thing uh, that people that know me well, is, you know, I want to do well. I want to. I, I don't just want to coach. You know, there, there's a lot of examina- uh, exams and, and evaluations, and I want to do well. I just... Uh, uh, you know, this has been a long time coming. As I said, it's been three years that I've been waiting to this point. Uh, and now I have uh, basically what amounts to a year of probation uh, between the training and the probation time in the halls before I actually become a fireman. So, uh, you know, at 41 years old, transitioning careers with a, with a full family behind me, you want to do it once, you want to do it right. So, Randy, tell me why the fire department? Why is that your choice in terms of a post-playing career profession? Well, you know, I've tried a bunch of things uh, since I've been uh, in football. Every year it seems like I've done something else and I've dragged my family through some uh, adventure, whether it was real estate or teaching or mortgage brokering. I've I've done quite a few things. Uh, But in the last years, uh, especially in 2014, when when I wasn't playing a lot that year and I really tried to explore what I was going to do after football, um, and I started exploring this career through really some ch- chance encounters with uh, 
some really neat guys that work for the Calgary Fire Department. I started realizing that it really checks all my boxes uh, in the sense that um, it's uh, it's a job uh, that you give back. And, uh, you know, I think uh, uh, when I think about my football career and how it relates, I think I tried to use my uh, profile, however small it was, with uh, football, whether it was as a stampeder, an Eskimo, or even a rider, to do things in the community that maybe not many people pay attention to if you're not playing for those football teams. So it's a real community-based job where you do things to help people. And that's a major, um, it's a major th- importance for me in my life. And then the next thing, uh, it's team. It's, it's, a, it's a full team effort. You know, it's not football in the sense that you're playing to win a great cup, but I guess your great cup is getting home alive every night. Uh, and I think that's, uh, that's, that's, that can't be understated that uh, it, it might be the ultimate team activity uh, to be, you know, uh, protecting, uh, you know, the citizens and your coworkers from whatever hazards out there. And then the last thing, it's physical. I'm, uh, I love playing around. I'm a guy that, you know, is very physical. I like to work out. I like physical activity. You know, I'm always playing different sports. And, and um, the way the fire... Uh, uh, firefighters train it's it's right down my alley and now to be doing it with a group of people again that have the same philosophy as me it's going to be fun so checks a lot of my boxes um and and i'm excited and it's a stable career i haven't had uh, stability in <laughs> 16 years you know you you know I, I played and people would think oh yeah you know he played forever but you know every year when that last playoff game gets played uh, our whole family has gone through 16 years of cycle where we don't know if we have a job in June and therefore, you know, you're working in the off season, you're training late at night to make sure that you're okay for, for training camp, but you still don't know. Right. And even though I, I'd like to say that I was one of the best at what I did every year, I had no clue if I had a job in June and, and, uh, and I'm looking to provide my family with, with uh, a little bit more stability that they know that dad's working. He's going to work the next uh, 20 years at this job. He's going to work hard and, He's going to have vacation time like normal people do, and he's going to have maybe a few days off like normal people do, and he's going to know he has a job next week like uh, many normal people do. I won't say everyone. Right. Okay. Randy Shivery joining us on Inside Sports, a former Eskimo and Stampeder and briefly a Rough Rider last season as well, a long and excellent career as a long snapper in the CFL. Randy, uh, and I know you were in the NFL as, as well. I mean, you really started as a pro in 2001. When you, when you look back, is there someone that you want to say thank you for giving me a chance? Is there one or two people that really stands out? Oh gosh, that's a that's an amazing question because I, I mean when I look, you know, the answer to that question is more, uh, you know, before I even started as a pro because I started as an eighteen year old kid that didn't know a thing about football. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I went to a couple of places to try playing, and many people said, well, if you haven't played by the time you're 18, you're never going to play. But uh, truthfully, the first midget football coach uh, that gave me a shot, uh, there is a connection to him, it was actually Coach Danny Machocha. Uh, a long time ago in my hometown of San Leonardo, when I walked on the field in the middle of practice and I didn't know a thing, I just said, Coach, I like to hit. Can I play football? And uh, he put me on the defensive line, and that was the start. And then uh, throughout my coach, uh, Charlie Bailey at McGill, uh, that brought me to McGill. I played five years there. And then uh, I'll have to say fast forward, another huge Edmonton connection was Coach Tom Higgins, who uh, you know I played for in Edmonton for two years, and we won an amazing great cup in 2003, and then I followed him to Calgary. Um, so, you know, um, 
all these guys, and, you know, there's so many more guys that, you know, just so influential in my life, but, but these are the guys that kind of gave me a shot, believed in me, and, uh, you know, and, and, and saw something in me that uh, they were able to get the best out of. Well, Randy, I, I mean, I really appreciate your time, I, and I hope this isn't our last conversation that uh, that we can talk football and, and life in the months and years to come as well. But congratulations on a great career. You're you're a great example for you know any Canadian that wants to make it in football, or I think any pro sport. And uh, all the best with the Calgary Fire Department. They've added they've added a really good one to the service there. Thanks so much for your time. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate you, and I appreciate everyone in Edmonton. I had uh, two amazing years there as a pro, and uh, and I'll never forget uh, two of the best years in my career, uh, 2002 and 2003, for sure. Thanks a lot, Randy. All the best. And we'll talk to Randy uh, again as he pursues a, a new career, new life, or his life after football with the Calgary Fire Department. David texting in. He says, Reed, after two games, I would love to hear your thoughts on how the CFL stacks up this year. The Eskimos appear to be the head of the class, even with the two big injuries to White and Sherritt. I don't know, David, if I would put the Eskimos at the head of the class. I, I still uh, would give that to Calgary. Well, they didn't win the Grey Cup last year, but they've had two outstanding seasons where they didn't win the Grey Cup. Uh, BC looks really good to me, and uh, Edmonton had to squeak that one against the Lions. I do think those are the top three teams. As much as I, I like and respect J.C. Sherritt, as I'm sure you all do, I think the injury to White is more harmful than the injury to Sherritt because I'm just not sure about Trayvon Van. I think White just had that extra power in his game that really helped out. But uh, but I do think the Eskimos are a very good team. I know somebody texted in earlier and said, uh, where was it again, saying, do you think the Eskimos had such a poor first half because of bad practice habits? I don't know about that. I also don't cover the Eskimos' practices firsthand. Dave and Morley do. They have not never said anything about sloppy practices. Um, but yes, that first half against Montreal, they, they clearly were not sharp. I mean, Wipe uh, fumbled a couple times. They had three drops, two of which would have gone for touchdowns. So they can't afford to have those lulls against better teams. But I'm pretty encouraged about how they look this season. 7.46, quick timeout, Inside Sports on 6.30, Chet. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 6.30, Chad. Well, yeah, unfortunately, Sherrick out for the season. Eskimos on their bye week. They have also lost John White for the year, and early in training camp, they lost Corey Greenwood for the season. Oilers development camp continuing in Jasper. They'll have their uh, Billy Moore's Cup tomorrow at the Jasper Arena. 5.15 start for that. And uh, we'll see what's going on with uh, an announcement for a Connor McDavid contract. I would expect sooner rather than later, but uh, we'll see nothing official from the team. Neil Yakupov going to Colorado one year, $875,000. David DeHarnay to the New York Rangers. Team Brick Alberta loses in overtime. Double overtime to the Montreal Ice Storm at the Brick Invitational at West Edmonton Mall. So uh, they do get a a point for the overtime loss. They're 1-0-1. West Ed going to be home to a big basketball event coming up this weekend to talk about that and uh, other stuff as well from Basketball Alberta. The Executive Director, Paul Sir. Paul, how's it going? Great. Now that I'm talking to you, Reed. Well, it's always great to have you on the show. You're so generous with your time. And uh, before I get into the three-on-three, because this is such an exciting event, uh, Kevin Durant 
Uh, what what's the deal? Two years, fifty three million dollars, and I, some people are calling this a discount. You got to explain this to me, Paul. Well, I, how how do you explain the bizarro world of the NBA and the salaries they're throwing around right now? I, you know, the the, the headline I read it sounded like uh, Durant was going into poverty. Uh, but yeah, I, the, the new salary caps, the new money that's available. My goodness. It's taken what seemed impossible, uh, impossible to top, and made uh, contracts from the past read look like pennies on the dollar. It's just the numbers are so astronomical; you just can't even fathom them. Well, it's yeah, and I mean it, it's an interesting. It, the NBA is different. I mean, because what they they're usually paying fifteen guys at a time, but I mean, once you get down to the eight, nine, ten guys on the team, I mean, the the average might be one thing, but it the it's I mean, it's a it's a few guys making what three quarters uh, of the salary. Yeah, the guy, the superstars are making the the big 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 money, and you're right. When you get down to eight and below, they're making real good money. But they're not making anything like what the superstars are making. The, and I think what's really happened that I that I believe we all have to bear in mind it is uh, sports entertainment driven by economics. And now with the NBA being so successful, Reed, at becoming a global property, they have they have really transcended other sports in their ability to pay their superstars. Mm-hmm. Their revenue streams are so vast, and the collective bargaining agreement gives the players a percentage of the money that they earn, and now we're seeing salaries that uh, were just uh, a year ago seeming unthinkable. Uh, I just quickly Googled it here. Highest paid salaries for this past season, so this is all going to change over the summer. LeBron just under $31 million. Mike Conley from the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, that's a head-scratcher, 26 and a half. DeMar DeRozan, 26 and a half. Durant was at 26 and a half. Harden at 26 and a half. Uh, Al Horford was at that mark, too, as was Russell Westbrook. Uh, Nowitzki still making 25 million. So, uh, yeah, if you, if, uh, if you could put the ball in the old hoop, you could make some cash. You could, you could make some dough, and I think Steph is now at 40 right. a year. And so the new... Uh, the new water level is getting higher and higher and seemingly running over the riverbank. I wonder what's going to happen to, you know, these, uh, his kids, you know, and the families of these. Because, like, there's going to be a point where you're just going to share, right? Like, what, what's, your, what's, what's your, how, how, are you, how is he, because it's, it's, it's Curry that had the daughter, right, that he would have at the podium during the playoffs right. that everybody fell in right. love with. How is he going to tell her, no, no. You need to go cut grass for ten dollars an hour in the summer because <laughs> I, I think the life lessons will be a little different. Yeah, Reed. yeah it'll be a little different. Uh, all right. Anyway, I, I took you up too much time. Uh, three on three at, at West Ed. Uh, why is this a big deal this weekend, Paul? Give us the nuts and bolts. I'll give you a real quick Reader's Digest background. In 2010, I went to a conference in Denver. For the first time, I found out that FIBA was going to be pursuing having three-on-three being uh, considered as an Olympic sport. And now in 2017, the announcement's been made, and like beach volleyball as a spinoff of volleyball, we now have three-on-three going to be an Olympic medal sport in the 2020 Olympic Games. So the reason this is so significant, Reed, is this 
Number one is the first ever Canada Basketball three uh, FIBA 3x3 National Championship. And from this National Championship, two teams will go to Saskatoon the following weekend for what's called the FIBA Masters Qualifier. And two of those teams will then go on to the World Championships. So we now in Edmonton, where we have been the leaders literally nationally in building and developing three-on-three because we've had the largest three-on-three tournament in Canada for the past seven years. We now are positioned to host the national championship and to continue to drive teams to the world qualifiers. Okay. Paul, I'm into my last uh, minute and a half of the show, so I got to give I can only give you about 30 seconds here. Tell people uh, when and where they can watch and how they can find out more. West Edmonton Mall, uh, down just past the the, uh, the the water part or the ships rather, in what used to be the HMV uh, Pavilion. It goes from Saturday from noon to four and Sunday from 10 to two. Eight teams from across Canada. It'll be a great event and a lot of fun to watch and hope everybody can make it out. Paul, if we got local winners, I want them on the show next week, okay, buddy? So you might have to help me out with that. You got it. Just let me know. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Reed. Paul Sir, Executive Director of Basketball Alberta. There we go. Big three-on-three tournament at WEM this weekend starting Saturday at noon. Love having Paul on the show. Love talking to you tonight. We got another program tomorrow from 6 to 8. Don't miss out. Bob Stoffer has Oilers now from noon to 2 tomorrow. Thanks to our guests besides Paul. You heard from Randy Chevrolet, Tom Gazzola, and Jack Michaels. Thanks to the studio producer this evening, Kellen Kennedy. The producer of the show, currently on his bye week, along with the Eskimos, is Dave Campbell. Ticketmaster.ca for those free tickets to Dave Semenko's Celebration of Life. Thursday at 2 at Rogers Place. My name is Reed Wilkins. Charles Adler tonight is next. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.